if then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whoa. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. May it be very evident and real to our hearts. I want you to understand that when Paul's writing this to the church in Colossae, he is imprisoned in Rome. And the problem with the church in Colossae is that they think that to get to Jesus, you got to do something or go through something. Specifically, there was a, there's a little issue with angels. Now they got to go through the angels to actually get to Jesus. See, here's the breathtaking thing about the gospel is that it actually gives us and allows us access into the resources of glory. Into the kingdom, we are allowed access into those things without anything that we need to do or give or earn. So Paul is writing this to the church going, hey man, you are, you're doing this thing wrong. You don't have to be something, do something, earn something. There's not a checklist for you. You are free in Christ. You are hidden. Think about that, to be hidden in Christ. When people look at you, you're just consumed with him. There's, there's, there's something we've got to really pay attention to here, because if you read this, if you read really any of the Bible, but specifically chapter three, this verse that I have been charged with covering and teaching for you, 
If you read it from beginning to end, so if you go from verse 1, 2, 3, 4, down to 17, it gets very overwhelming real quick. Because I'm looking at all this going, <laughs> no way. Because there's, there's, I mean, you've got the, the more um, motive parts of our sin, the covetedness, the idolatry, the evil desires. Then you've got things that just, just don't lie. <laughs> then more practical things like anger and obscene talk. But then if you keep on going down toward the end, there's some issues with even racial tensions that we see. So he's covering, Paul is covering the gamut here. Now, if you, but if you read what we're getting to, what we want to see is this here at the end of this, this passage. And, but if you read it prescriptively, I've got to do all of these things in order to get to the peace of God ruling in my life. In order to be free, you're reading it wrong. You see, what Paul is saying is the Bible is not prescriptive. The Bible is descriptive. It says that in Christ, this is where you stand. In Christ, this is who you are. You have access to an all-consuming peace that is not dictated by your circumstances. An all-consuming peace that, that is not dictated by your circumstances. Do you hear that? It is there despite your circumstances. This is available to you. So if, if we're, and because of that, from that space of peace and freedom and grace and what Jesus has done, then we are these things. Then we have even the glimmer of hope of not lying. We have even the, the, the possibility now to not let stupid stuff come out of our mouth. You know what I mean? We just say stupid stuff sometimes. You don't need to say that. I say this, you just, Casey, you just don't need to say that. We become very manipulative and passive aggressive in our desire to control love. We want love the way that we want to be loved. And we want to give it to the point that we want to give it. And so we put up a guard and we put up a, a, a we very, you know, tight fisted on the way that we give and receive love. Not only in the things that we do, but mostly in the things that we don't do. That, you know, that's mostly how you control your relationships. Not in the things that you do and say, but in the things that you do not do and say. Both are very much a form of manipulating and controlling so that it fits us. So we don't have to deal with our own junk. And so what we prefer, how we prefer to read the word of God is a prescription. Just like you go when you're sick and you go to the doctor and you want some medicine. The doctor's able to give you some medicine based on what? Your symptoms. Your symptoms. He can look at your symptoms and say, this is probably what's wrong with you. I'm going to give you some medicine. But what does the medicine really do? In, in, you know, in my, our, our medicine, it, although we have incredible advances, let me just use my personal self as an example. When in 2011, I was given a, a di diagnosis for an incurable cancer called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage three follicular B-cell lymphoma, if you want to know the exact brand of my cancer. It is a very aggressive form of cancer. There is no cure for it on the map right now. So in 2011, I'm basically saying, I've, I've got doctors basically saying, you, you look, you, you've got cancer. It's a bad one. There's really nothing we can do for it to cure it. But what we can do is we can, we can help you with the symptoms we can give you chemo, which are going to help kill off the symptoms. 
and maybe extend your life. And so here's what I want. (laughs) See, in Jesus Christ, it's not just the chemo. It's not just the symptoms. It's not just about meeting the the symptoms of our disease. In Christ, we are given access to healing. Fully to receive healing. And one day our bodies will be fully healed in glory. And, And so what? Paul is saying what the Bible is teaching us is, hey, don't read it like you got to do this, this and this, because then you'll just be treating a symptom. You won't be letting the infection of your sin really surface. But in Christ, because of what he has done, you have access. You have access to healing. Here and now. There is healing for our shame. There is healing for our guilt. There is healing for the disappointment that we feel, the bitterness that we feel because of the offenses that have occurred over the course of our life. I want you to really, really bite down on this passage because it is so good. In order to understand this passage, you actually have to jump more toward the end in verse 15. What Paul is saying to us in this, in the totality of this, these seven, 17 verses is really we can kind of sum up what he is asking us to see in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. All right, this is a big one. If you don't get this, you don't get the rest of the book, really. And let me tell you why this is a big one. First, I want you to understand exactly the Greek translation for this piece. Okay, because there's some different ones across the canvas of the Bible. But what I want you to see is this specific one that Paul is choosing in his letter. What this piece means. Will you write it down? If you're a note taker, if you're a journalist, write it down. This is really good. You're going to want to remember this. This piece that Paul is referring to, and I'm looking at the thing, by the way, that's the ruling thing. There's a lot of things that are thrown out at us here that we want to get to, but ultimately what is to rule us? Well, if if Paul's saying that peace needs to rule us, I need to understand that piece. Here's the definition. The tranquil state of a soul Assured of its salvation. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation. And so. (laughs) Fearing nothing from God. But content with its earthly lot. Whatsoever that is. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation. So fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, whatsoever that is. I mean. Thank you, Paul. What a spectacular word. I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that there's not a holy fear and reverence. This is not what this is saying, that we have a holy fear and reverence of our God because he is holy and just and righteous. This is that we, there is, we are not fearing something from him. You know what I'm saying? We are not fearing because Jesus has fully taken all of our debt, all of our pain. So when something happens in your life, circumstantial, when you are hurt, when you are wounded, even in victimization, and we, if we're looking at that as punishment for your sin. 
in the name of Jesus, may I take that off of you. It is not how God works. If you are being punished, then there was no need for Jesus. You see, Jesus has fully and finally, he's gone all the way for you, baby. He's gone all the way. All the way through all your sin, past, present, and future. All the way to death for you. All the way. And this is the peace. It, it, you're, not, you're not walking around in fear that, that God's going to strike you down with a lightning bolt. You know what I mean? So even in, in a cancer diagnosis, that there is a peace that holds me together in whatever lot that might be. I want you to consider right now what that is. What is your earthly lot? Where are you? Are you a student? Are you a newlywed? Are you single? Are you just dealing with relationship drama in your life? Are you on the fence with this whole Christianity thing? So consider that there is such a confidence through your salvation in Christ that you are at peace. You can be at peace there. That is for you. It is a peace. It's yours. It's not ruled by your circumstances. It rules despite your circumstances. So what Paul does here is he kind of gives us three, what I can see. And as I've studied, here's, here's, uh, and, and I always preface everything with, I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be wrong. But here's the three really uh, disciplines that we see to access this peace, to access this freedom, to be confident and not be walking around fearing uh, condemnation, judgment, guilt from the Lord, that we are free in this. Here's the three things I want you to write down that we're going to unpack very quickly. Number one, Paul admonishes us to think on, think on, two, drill down, <laughs> drill down. And number three, to move out. So think on, drill down, move out. Those are the three things. Okay, number one, think on. You can find this in verses one through four of chapter three. Let's read it again. If then you have been raised with Christ. I want you to circle or underline the words if then. If you don't write in your Bible, please go ahead and do so. It'll set you free. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. Please circle, underline, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here's what this is saying. What set your mind? What does it mean to set your mind? How do I set, Casey? Heavens, how do I set my mind on anything? It means to think. It means that you were given a brain to think about why you are doing what you are doing. Here's the problem. Our culture does not work this way. Our world is teaching us, sisters, to first act and then think. Our culture and our world is teaching us to be reactive to everything. And so we get, we have, you know, I go to any book, you know, so many books, so many social media blogs, that kind of thing. We were just, Kat and I were just talking about that. That's what we prefer. Yes. I want a list. Please give me a list. Please give me the prescriptive Bible I want to do. Follow the Ten Commandments and all will be well. But what Paul is saying is in order for that, what this means, we got to think on this. We can't, it's not a technique. It's not a program. It's not five steps to this. It's not some relaxation exercise. 
You don't get that yet. Paul is saying, you've got to think. You've got to consider your motives here. You've got to consider why you're making this choice. You've got to think on deeply, deeply. Why are you here? Why did you say that? Why did you respond that way when she said that? The problem is that social media and and the rise of social media has, it's tricked us. And so now we have a very false sense of belonging. We have a very false sense. We don't think anymore. We just have everything at our fingertips. Every answer is at our fingertips. We don't have to think. We, we know a lot of things. We have a lot of facts about people, about ourselves. We, know a lot, we think we know a lot about God. But we don't really want to consider that we might be wrong. So what we do is we only like the things that align with what we like. We follow and we read and we listen to the sermons and read the books that kind of match our style. Don't look at anybody's feet. Go look at mine. Look at yours. You can see. Just look at who I like or who I follow or whatever. You can see kind of where my lane is. And what Paul is is encouraging us is to think more deeply. Go deep. Take a risk on being wrong. And so I want to encourage you uh, to really, I, I would love to just go deeper on this. I don't have time on the social media thing. I was so convicted. Just two weeks ago, I was teaching in Tulsa and I was on the elevator up and down, up and down, going to the, to the backstage and up to the table and all that stuff. And every single time I got in the elevator, it would be me and like one person, one or two other people. And I started to watch who could ride the elevator for two floors without getting on their phone. Who could ride the elevator with me for just two floors without doing this? You know, I rode that elevator probably nine or ten times up and down. And not one person did not get on their phone. Not one person just could look me in the eyes and be comfortable with my energy. I know that's asking a lot. It is really. I know that about, I'm intense. My energy is heavy, it's a heavy energy. But it just it blew my mind. And, and then I went home and I went to, I go to this coffee shop in my hometown and I try to write and get some stuff done and it really just serves social media. I don't any. Anyway, I go to the coffee shop and I, y'all, I'm not even kidding you. I looked across the way and I watched this young girl, a college student. I live in Bryan College Station, by the way. So I do have a few college students in my backyard. So I'm sitting there watching this young girl and literally she comes in. She has her backpack full of stuff. She pulls it out. It, out comes her Bible. She's already got her sweet little coffee mug, you know, out comes her journal. And then I see, oh, here it goes. The millennial generation. There's highlighters and crayons. I'm like, (laughs) I come from the generation X. I just want y'all to know that sounds lovely, doesn't it? But y'all are so sweet and tender and creative these days. I mean, there's even Bibles made for you with coloring books in them. I mean, heavens, help us, Jesus, in Jesus' name. We have coloring books in our Bibles. Never thought I'd see the day. 
This week, girl, she's got her Bible and she's got her journal and her coffee mug and her highlighters. You know, I forgive me, Lord. I started my watch timer. 32 minutes it took her to take the picture. Oh, y'all all acting like y'all hadn't done it. I love it. Oh, poor girl. She's so messed up. How long did it take you to get a selfie out here in front of the sparrow? I think, oh, that's not good. Hang on one second. You know. No, go up. No, no, look up like this. Stretch your neck. But I'm telling you, the Bible had to be perfect. The journal had to be perfect. The her crayons were laid out. <laughs> in the world. Her coffee mug. I mean, it just, the, I, and, and, you know, the above picture, which I'm learning. Okay, guys, millennials, I'm getting it. The above picture is where it's at. Above it. Mine turn out. My finger's always over the thing. Why did that turn out? Oh. But y'all, 32 minutes. I watched her get the perfect shot. And then noticed that so much time had passed. Gather her stuff up really quick. And leave. I want you, I, I encourage you to put the phone down and build relationships with people. Look into their eyes, see people, and please stop coloring in your Bible. Okay, there, I said it. Okay, we're done. <laughs> done. I'm moving on. <laughs> really quickly write down first peter chapter 2 9 through 10 because i want you to know who you belong why are you why can you drop the phone why can you just engage and not be awkward and have to set up these shots and i'm not saying it's cool be creative be artistic i'm not that at all but 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 32 minutes is a little extreme okay because we, we, we see all of these things. We think this is what we have to do to belong. But when we begin to think on the implications, that's what Paul is saying here. If then, if you have been raised with Christ, what does that mean? If this is true of you, you really don't have to send that picture. If this is true of you, you really don't have to text back what you want to text back because no amount of emojis is going to carry through. Your emotion. Well, pick up the phone and talk. Engage with somebody. And if that's not who you are, look at that. Because 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 tells you who you are. Here is the place, the motive, the posture of your heart. If this is true of you, this is what's true of you. Are you ready for this? It's going to rock your world. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Oh. Yes, say amen. Yes. You can't call it, but you can say amen. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you get that? You are chosen. The veil has been torn and you go in. You're in. You don't have to want to be in or seek to be in or need to belong. Guess what? You belong. You belong. 
And when you stop to think about that, and you let that sink down deep into the pores of your skin, when you can come from that place, when you can speak from that place, oh, there's such a peace. The hustle stops, you know. The worrying about what she thinks and she thinks. and she, Do you think it is easy for this to get up in front of you? No. Christian women are scary people. <laughs> They're scary. There is something radical that God has done in my life. He has worked a miracle in my heart. For me to get up here and say with all honesty that I love you dearly. But I do not need you to like me. Now that's freedom. Because I belong. I'm in. I'm in the Holy of Holies. Okay, secondly. Number two. We're going to drill down. All right. I, I claim this one of my sweet friends. She says this whenever I'm, you can take it. I got her permission to give it to you. So whenever your friend is just being stupid. And they're just saying that insecurities are coming out, all this fear, doubt, anxiety, whatever, unforgiveness. You just look at them and go, we need to drill down. We need to drill down, see where that's coming from. And that's kind of what Paul's saying right here. He gives us this list of all of this stuff, right? That sexual immorality, impurity, passion, don't lie, anger, wrath, slander. You look at that like that and you go, yeah. I don't honestly know that I can say there's been a 24-hour period in my life where the, I've checked off the list totally, at least, you know, in my motives. I maybe not have done all those things for you to see, but, but I've thought them. You know what I'm thinking right now. I mean, we are just, we're sinners by nature and choice. We, let me tell you something. We need a Savior. We need to be rescued. What Paul wants you to look at, there's one specific word, and I had to really unpack and go and, and plow through some things here to find it. Because I was like, what is the sum up, the summation of all of these things, all of these motives, all these behaviors, all these defenses, all these prejudices, all these lines we draw in the sand? Where can I get to the bottom of this? And it actually is in the word evil desires. It's actually the word desires. Just the word desires. That if you drill down to the bottom of all the things that we do and all the things that we say and all the dysfunctional things in your life right now, all the relationship drama, if you want to drill down to it and get to the bottom of why it's happening, why there is no peace in your life, it's right here. The reason it's hard to find and land on this is because there is no English synonym for this word. In the Greek, it means it's this pronounced epiphemia. This desire, why it's kind of cool, is that when we think of this, we think of evil desire, but that's not what this word means. Epi, what you can write, epi is, is mega or over or just big. It's a big desire. It's the overarching desire of your life. It's driving all the other desires. It's the epi desire in your life. Epiphemia. Here's the definition of this Greek word. It is an over-desire of something good that leads to something evil. See, Paul slipped that one in on us. It is this over-desire for something good 
oh, what just came to your mind? I would love to know. I, I would encourage you to write it down. I would encourage you to not take this weekend lightly. To let the weight of this weekend be very, very significant. And in that, remember who you are coming in so that you can see who you are going out. What is the good thing? The thing that seems very, very good that you want that is somehow turned into something evil. That is, that is your epi desire. Now, here's, the, here's, the, here's, here's why we miss it. And it's, it's so pop. I mean, John talks about this desire. James talks about it. Paul, Peter, they all talk about this epi desire, this overarching desire, the epiphemia. The reason that it's hard for us to navigate, the reason it's hard for us to land on and drill down to is because we, we wrongly believe that we are capable of having no God. Humans think that there is something in us that allows us to not worship anything. That there's some kind of gray zone in us. But this is not what God's word says. The first commandment found in Exodus 20, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, basically removes the idea that you and I can worship nothing. So what I'm saying to you is, it is impossible for us to worship nothing. The human heart will always worship something. And it's one of two things, guys. It is the creator or the created. And here's where you can lean and press in the word and the truth of God. Is that there is some, you worship something. You give your epi desire, your over desire to something Always, always, 100% of the time. Here's the test. Okay, so we want to get to this, right? I want you to leave going, okay, I'm ready to do this work. Let's do this. I want to be free. I want this peace. It is for me. I want to believe it. Okay, so let me give you some practical tests. Here's the test. I want you to think about if there's anything in your life, if I took it from you right now, it would feel like death. If there's anything in your life right now that I removed it from you, you would not know who you are without it. Now, this can take shape in a lot of different ways. Am I not? Do you, are you seeing it right now? Is, is the Spirit revealing it to you even as I speak? He is. Trust that right there, that word right there coming to you. Because it can look like things like our reputation. It can look very much like a thing or a possession. It can look like a motive. It can look like a, um, a desire, a dream, a dream of a, of a hope or of a chance of something that we have that's good. It seems good. It seems right. But we've allowed it to consume us. For me, I can tell you that I just desperately at the end of all of my stuff, it started out as me wanting for to... To receive forgiveness. To, to have a, an apology given to me from the people in my life who hurt me. My family, my parents. The man who raped me when I was a teenager. All the guys that abused me and used me. And I just wanted somebody to notice. I just wanted somebody to say, I'm sorry. 
And that became the overarching epi desire of my life. It began to dictate and have power. You see, it became my God. That desire to just receive an apology. To, but then I began to drill down, you know, what it really was. I just want to belong. I just want to be seen. I want to be valuable to somebody. I want to be worth it. I want, I want somebody to stay because I'm worth it. You know what I mean? I don't want to be cast aside. I don't want to be looked past. I don't want to be less than. I want to belong. Now, here is a beautiful thing. You and I were made to want that. You and I were made to want to belong. It is in us. It is the DNA. It is the God code. It is the image of the divine inside of us. It was woven into us from the garden. The problem is we were cast out of the garden. But we know that it existed. Our mind and our heart tells us there's a paradise lost. It tells us that there is something more. That there was an eternity of a communion with our creator. That we belong to. We were seen. We were loved fully. With no, nothing needed from us. Oh man, is that not good? And so, the reason that you want to belong, and it's a, that when you drill down, it's at the bottom of every decision that you make. Because you were born to. You were born to belong to God. And he is using every circumstance and every relationship in your life to remind you that you belong in the Garden of Eden and it's coming and you're going home, baby. This is not your home. Yes, it's good. So the final third thing is that move out. As you begin to identify and drill down to that place that you just so desperately want to belong, you can really start to put some language on it. By, by really looking at your epi-emotions. So the epi-desire is going to be determined by your epi-emotions. Now, epi-emotions are bigger than normal emotions. Our normal human emotions cause us to be sad. It is right to grieve an injustice. It is right to grieve uh, when somebody, a loss of a person, whether that be in just um, the death of someone or whether that be they move away. There's a grief associated with somebody, you know, not being present that once was. There's a grief associated with victimization and hurt and wounding. So what you're looking for is not the emotions that are normal and natural, sadness, grief. But this is the stuff when you are inconsolable about it. When they take this, when somebody takes this away from you. I mean, it's really, you can just think of an alcoholic. I'm telling you, I have been at the table uh, with an alcoholic at a, at a restaurant who's trying to not be an alcoholic anymore. And for the four of us that do not struggle with alcohol as, as that thing, they come and they offer us a drink. The waiter, waitress says, you want a drink? We all say no. It's not a big deal for us. Doesn't consume us. Doesn't dictate anything for us. Doesn't overwhelm us. My friend who's an alcoholic is shaking. Her body is shaking because it is it feels like death for her to not have a drink so you're looking for these epi emotions when somebody pushes on that wound are you just frozen in fear are you just paralyzed are you just bitter and nasty about it so so really begin to look 
Paul wants us to drill down here, drill down. But then finally, and, and where I'm going to leave you with encouragement here, is to move out in this. So how do we access this peace? How do we do all of these things? What is the medicine here? I want the healing. I want to be free. I want to walk out, move out. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. I want to just jump right down to, and above all these, put on love. Which binds everything together in perfect Harmony. When you practice love, you will have access to this peace. When you practice a selfless, sacrificial love that needs nothing from people, you see, that's the love God is driving you to. He's driving you to exist in a love that needs nothing in return. That's what he wants for you because that's where freedom is. He wants freedom for you, baby. Practicing this love, it redirects our desires. Here's what you got to know about desires. You cannot remove desire. That epi desire you've got that's motivating everything you say, do, and think, you cannot remove it. You can only replace it. You see, you might conquer something in your life. You might conquer addiction. You might get past depression. You might forgive somebody who's hurt you, but you will never, ever conquer this overwhelming need, this inescapable desire to belong. Never. Something will always have to fill it. And Jesus Christ is offering himself there. He's saying, I will satisfy. Oh, I will satisfy. And from that, you will find such sweet freedom that you will want to walk out in obedience. You see, it's not obedience that begets freedom. It's freedom that begets obedience. So as you are free and you believe the grace, I'm telling you, I didn't get this. Y'all, I'm 36 years old. I didn't get this till I was 30 years old. When I was standing in front of my man, Justin, after a horrific season where I had cheated on him for three years, Lied and betrayed and committed adultery. And my husband absolutely could have, should have walked. That's what I deserved. And for him to look at me and say, Casey, I am so hurt and I'm so grieved at what has happened. And I want to walk. But I don't know how to not love you. I don't know how to not love you. You want to know? You want to know my heart totally just was traumatized by grace. And that's what it feels like for you today. That is the grace available. Jesus is saying to you, I couldn't walk if I wanted to. I don't know how to not love you. Believe that I can satisfy you there and you will walk fully. Fully in freedom. Jesus, we thank you for finishing the work on the cross. We thank you that we are free to fail, that we are free to struggle, that uh, we are free to disappoint and people will disappoint us. And at the end of all of that, as overwhelmed as our life can seem, 
that there is a peace that is available to rule our hearts, a peace that sustains us, that is not determined by our circumstances, but holds us. God, awaken our hearts to the spaces of of selfless love that we can walk into right now that are so available to us, that align our desire and our ability and our opportunity. Will you shift us into that freedom, that love, and just press us to walk out? It will be hard and sacrificial and it will cost us something. But we want it. We want what is there. We want that grace. We want that freedom. We want the peace that holds us together and that binds us together with your love. We believe you, Jesus.